I am so, I, I don't know if envious, jealous is a right word since we're in church, but I'll use them because that's why I am. I can't draw, paint, color, stick figures well. And uh, all three services, I've just sat here in amazement of how this creation that lives within Tom comes alive on the canvas. And uh, if you haven't had a chance after service today, uh, first service is against the back wall there, and then second service's paintings are in the cafe. So make sure you stop and uh, uh, just don't look at them. Uh, Really experience what the painting is saying and what's coming alive on the canvas. So last week, if you were here, uh, we talked about this thought and kind of this, this thought of what, what do you count and does the things you count really count? Are the things in your life that you really pay attention to what you really value really, really matter or don't they? And I had a simple challenge for all of you to do. One is this, is to take 30 minutes this past week and look at your bank account and your calendar, and, and what do you see? Where do you spend your time, and where do you spend your money? And those two things will really create a clear picture of what are the things that you really value, what you really count in life. And so I, I took that challenge myself. I don't just stand up on stage and tell you to do things and not live them out myself. And uh, so I, I looked at those two things, and my b- bank account was fine, but my calendar... <laughs> I failed at. Actually, my wife, I think, specifically told me I failed at my calendar to the point where she said to me two nights ago, she reached over we're at dinner, she reached over and stretched out her hand. It was one of those awkward moments where I'm like, what are you doing? And she, she kind of looked at me, so I reached over and grabbed her hand. She goes, hi, my name's Kim. What's yours? And uh, <laughs> yeah, so when I say I failed, uh, I'm just being honest with you. And one of the things that she and I have talked a lot about, it wasn't the first time we've discussed this. I think it was just one of her very, very funny ways uh, to get my attention. But, uh, you know, since January this year, we've had one of those years. You know what I'm talking about? It's just one of those years. And we never want to have a different year. It's been a really amazing year, but it's been a really difficult uh, uh year run for us. So we're kind of excited about 2012, and it can't get here soon enough. And so the week of Thanksgiving, we're shutting down, and so she sees the light at the end of the tunnel, I see the light, and we're going to have an incredible week together as a family. So I have one more week, and then my brain's going to go to mush. And uh, so I'm just being transparent with you, because I understand that it's difficult when you really stare at your life and really uh, try to get to the reality of your life it can be a different, difficult picture to look at. Well, this week, we're kind of coming into this thought, and uh, if I would have been really intelligent, I would have realized that last week was part A and this week was part B, but I didn't realize that until I got into it this week where I was like, wow, this is really like the answer to last week or the second piece to last week. And so if you weren't here last week, just challenge you to go to renaissancechurch.org. You can uh, listen to the message online. We have a podcast, so you can subscribe to that. But you need to listen to last week so that this week really, really makes sense. Think with me back to the day when you were five or six. In that space of life where we all ask the most thought-provoking question ever, what do I want to be when I grow up? What was that answer for you? What did you want to be when you grew up? The number one answer for five and six-year-olds is a superhero. 
which there's a high likelihood that that could actually come true. Right? Number one was super, and out of all the superheroes, the number one superhero that, that a kid now wants to be when they grow up is Spider-Man. I asked my wife, or I was in a conversation with my wife, and uh, she was telling me about this conversation that our two girls were having in the back of the car. And I have two girls, nine and five, and so they're having a nine and five-year-old conversation. And this was their conversation. They said, well, when we grow up, we want to live together. I'm like, oh, how sweet. Our, our girls want to live together. We'll see if that changes when they get to be 16. And, uh, but right now, they want to live together. And uh, then they said, and we want to live right by mom and dad. I'm like, oh, that's sweet. I'm like, maybe not right by us. Like <laughs> three doors down, you know, a little space. And uh, so they, they want to live together. Uh, they want to live by us. And then Kara said, well, yeah, and... We, and let's both be lawyers. And Claire was like, yeah, I want to be a lawyer. She has no clue what that is, you know, but she was like, yeah. And so they were talking about being lawyers. And then Claire, my five-year-old, said this. She goes, and Kiki, uh, let's have a pet hospital. <laughs> I'm like, hey, why not? You know, you can litigate and help a dog. You know, it's like, it's all, it all goes together. It might be awkward, but hey, why not? But somewhere along life, we go from this dream of what we want to be or what we want to become when we grow up, and we enter our senior year in high school and think back to that, that season of life and how chaotic and intense that was, right? Where you really felt that that one decision, that one career path, that one college, that if you didn't get that right, the rest of your life would be all messed up, right? If you didn't make that right decision Everything was done for you. So you start looking for what's the best college, what college you want to go to. Your mom and dad kind of trumped probably that thought and said, no, really, you're going to this college. Then you had to choose a degree. Do you know that 80% of all high school seniors choose a college before they've landed on what degree they want to have or choose? 80%. They, they might have a short list at that point, but they haven't landed on that one degree. And over 50% of all college freshmen will change the, their degree choice at least once. But we enter into this season of saying, I have to make huge decisions for the rest of my life. And these decisions will determine the course, the path that I'm going to be on. Now, let's fast forward. Think about how your life has unfolded in front of you. Is it exactly how you thought it would be your senior year in high school? Is it exactly how you thought it would be when you graduated from college? Probably really different, isn't it? I know I look at my life, I would never have scripted it like it is now. Never. Oh, there's there's pieces there's, there's small components to my life. Like, I wanted to get married, so I did that. That was good. And I really got lucky because I got a really amazing wife that puts up with me. Like, that's, I didn't script that. I wasn't smart enough. But I would never have scripted my life to unfold in the way that it has. And then I look forward and think about my next 38 years of life, and I'm really excited because... I could not have scripted my life to to unfold like it has. And so I'm really kind of looking forward to thinking, wow, what could happen? But yet I'm kind of fearful because I would never have scripted my life to unfold like it has, right? 
I think about this week. You, you couldn't avoid this this, this this week. I think about Joe Paterno's life. Would he ever have thought his legacy, his legend, his life would roll that way? All of us live in this life, and we're never sure what the next day is going to bring. We're never sure how our life is going to unfold. Yes, we have great influence over that, but yet sometimes that's outside of our control. You see, from a young age, from a young age, we uh, start asking this question, what do I, what do I, what do I, what do I? And we always focus on the I part of the equation. What do I want to become? What do I want to do? How successful can I become? How many kids do I want? Who do I want to marry? How early can I retire, right? It's all around this I, and today I'm going to challenge you with a thought. And here's the thought. It's not about I, it's about you. What would happen If we stop saying, what do I, what do I, what do I, and we started saying, God, what do you want me to become? God, what do you want me to do? God, where do you want me to go? God, what do you want me to do with the gifts, the passions that that you have given me? How do you want me to leverage my life for you? What What would happen if you stop focusing on yourself and focusing on God with your life? There's this guy we're going to look at today. His name's Saul. And I promise you, uh, his name goes from Saul and it, 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 it transforms into uh, a new name, Paul. And so I'll probably bounce between Saul and Paul. I've tried really hard to, to say Saul, but I will say Paul. So if I say Paul, I don't want to confuse you. Uh, same guy, okay? Same guy. It really almost rhymes. Well, it does rhyme. Okay, so Saul and Paul, same guy. Okay, so there's a guy named Saul, and we're going to look at his life starting in Acts chapter 8 and then quickly into Acts chapter 9. But we have to kind of set up the story before we get to him, because the first time we ever get introduced to this guy named Saul is in Acts chapter 8, verse 1. So right preceding that, what's going on kind of in that, 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 that time in that era was the church was exploding. It was this catalytic movement that was just taking over just in, in entire towns and communities and people were coming to understand that Jesus the Messiah had walked on this earth and that he had died on a cross and that he rose and ascended into heaven. And so the church was exploding. But you see, not only was the church exploding, it was kind of the old way, the old religion, the old faith, the group of Jews that didn't believe or didn't accept or didn't want to accept the fact that the promise uh, Messiah, the prophecy had been fulfilled. And so they rejected that. And so you had this tension growing between this group of Jews that didn't believe that. And then this new group of Christians, Christ followers, both of Jews and Gentiles of all different type of cultures who did believe that Jesus died and rose and ascended. And so the tension was coming to a head. There's a guy named Stephen that we find out that in Acts chapter six, he, uh, He was accused by this group of Jews of blasphemy. Now the word blasphemy, all it means is insulting God, cursing God, denying God. And so when they falsely accused Stephen, Stephen knew exactly what blasphemy was. 
He knew because he, he was an expert. He understood Old Testament law. He had lived in it. And so we get to chapter 7 of Acts, and the, the religious rulers asked him a simple question. Did you? Are you guilty? Did you blaspheme? And in that moment, Stephen had a decision. You see, like I said, Stephen understood Old Testament law. He understood that in Leviticus chapter 24, guess what? The consequence to blasphemy was being stoned. I mean, God wrote the law. It was God's law. God said, if someone blasphemes against me, you are to take them, take them outside the city gates. The entire town would surround that person, pick up huge rocks, and kill them. And Stephen found himself in front of these religious rulers being accused and put on trial that if he was found guilty, it would bring death. He understood it. And I just wonder if Stephen paused for a moment and said, okay, how do I answer this? Because I know I'm, I'm innocent, but I also know no matter how I respond, they're going to find me guilty. And I have a moment to stand in front of these religious rulers and hold them accountable to their faith. And so Stephen didn't back down. He didn't pull away. He didn't try to find an out. And he just went at them. And he told them that the Messiah had come. He told them that the Messiah had died. He told them that the Messiah had risen and ascended into heaven. He, he with all the passion and zeal within him, he shared with them. And they grabbed him and dragged him out and threw him on the ground. They picked up stones and they killed him. And we get to chapter 8. And this is the first time we get introduced to this guy named Saul. And this is what it says. Saul was one of the witnesses, and he agreed completely with the killing of Stephen. The first time we get introduced to this guy named Saul, he's standing there over, looking over in absolute agreement. Like he's affirming this. He's okaying this. He's he's the one leading out saying, yes, this is the right decision. Keep throwing the stones. Keep keep going, because this is right. You see, one of the things we know about Saul was growing up, he found his way to sit at the feet of a guy named Gamaliel. Now, Gamaliel was really interesting because he was a grandson of this guy named Hillel. And if you're familiar with the Jewish faith at all, you'll recognize that name, Hillel, because Hillel is probably one of the most significant uh, religious leaders in the Jewish faith ever. He, he was that guy. And so Gamaliel was his grandson. Gamaliel was one of seven, what they called or termed rabbans. You probably heard the, the term rabbi. Rabbi means my teacher, but rabban means our teacher. He was a master teacher. A very select group of people were ever considered that. And Paul or Saul sat right underneath his feet He sat in the Ivy Leagues of schools, and he learned both in knowledge, he learned about what that meant for him, and he was rising up in the ranks of Jewish religious leadership that had immense power. So we go through chapter 8, and this intensity grows, 
and this zealousness grows. And then we come to chapter 9. And get this, in verse 1 of chapter 9, it says, Meanwhile, Saul was uttering threats with every breath. This guy was going after Christians. He was taking his job seriously. And then it uses these words, and he was eager to kill the Lord's followers. Now, you take the word eager out of that sentence, right? And it could be a really good thought. I mean, eager to kill people, not so good of thought. So if you remove that, think about it, right? He was passionate about his job. He woke up early in the morning and he couldn't wait to get to work. He talked to other people about his job because he loved what he did. He would go to bed late at night because he loved what he did. And he would wake up the next day. Again, a new day, a new start, a new way to kill Christians. He was eager and he was good at it. And he was zealous for it and passionate for it. And he pursued it to the point where he went to these religious rulers. And that's what he said in verse 2. He requested letters addressed to the synagogues in Damascus, asking for the cooperation in the rest of, of any followers of the way he found there. He wanted to bring them both, men and women, back to, to Jerusalem in chains. What's interesting is there's these two words called the way, just kind of just lodged into this whole story about Saul and persecuting Christians. And if you quickly read through it, you just probably skip over those two words, the way. You see, that's what the Christ followers, the Christians were called back then. That was the movement. It was called the way. Probably stems from when Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And Paul was going after this movement called the way. And he was granted requests to travel from Jerusalem to Damascus to round up more of these Christ followers, more of these followers of the, of the way, to bring him back to Jerusalem for trial and probably for him, hope, hopefully, death. He wanted to get rid of all of them. So on the road, Paul's Saul's life changed. Verse 3 says, as he was approaching Damascus on this mission, a light from heavenly suddenly shone down around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And then Saul, Saul asked this question, who are you, Lord? I mean, I could just picture Saul's, you know, just that moment where he's just walking. I mean, he is focused on what he was going to do. And this light blinds him and this voice comes down from heaven. And Saul's number one reply is kind of this question. And I wish that there wasn't just a comma there because we just read it real fast. We just simply read, who are you, Lord? But I think it was, who are you? Dot, 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 dot. Lord? I think Paul had this moment to say, oh no, this is serious. And something's about ready to happen, and I'm not sure what that means. And in that moment, he said, 
Is that you, God? I bet he wasn't ready for this reply. He says, and the voice replied, I am Jesus, the one you're persecuting. I think at that point, Paul just wanted to crawl up in a little like field position and suck his thumb. It's like, oh no. This is as bad as I thought. I'm now face to face with Jesus, the Messiah. I've been on the wrong side, the wrong team, the wrong direction. And Jesus simply said, hey, I want you to go to Damascus and wait for me. And I'll let you know what this means. Saul stood up. And he had a choice. I mean, really think about this. He really did have a choice. He could have gone his own way. He could have said, run. But he followed God's instructions. The question is, when you encounter God in your life journey, which way do you go? And I know it's easy for some of you to say, well, you know, Chris, if God would blind me on the 78, which would be dangerous, but if I was on the 78 and he blinded me and he spoke to me, I would do whatever he said for me to do. Would you? Because there's countless stories in the Bible where people came face to face with God and they still chose to go their own direction. And I would say there's been moments in your life where you know you came face to face with God. You know, you just... God's voice in your heart and in your mind was so loud and you still chose to go your own direction. Paul chose to follow God that day. He chose to go and he sat there for three days, didn't eat, didn't drink. And then all of a sudden this guy named Ananias kind of enters the story, enters the picture and God goes to Ananias and says, hey, I want you to go to this guy named Saul And I want you to deliver this message. Ananias' reply was probably what yours and my reply would have been. No, (laughs) absolutely not. I know of this guy. He kills people like me. I would like to live today. And I would like to live tomorrow, God. Go pick someone else. And God said, no, really. I want you, Ananias, to go to to Saul's house. Because there's a message that you must deliver And Ananias agreed to. And here was the message in verse 15. Go, for Saul is my chosen instrument to take my message to the Gentiles and to the kings, as well as all the people of Israel. And I will show him how much he must suffer for my name's sake. Go. Tell Paul these words, that Paul is going to be my voice and my hands and my feet. And I want to use Paul to impact this world. I want to use Paul of all of his passion and all of his zeal and all of his gifts, how I've wired him to become. And I want to take that, refocus that, and I want to use him to impact the world. Ananias, go and tell him that. And so Ananias did. And Paul said, okay. You see, in this change, Saul's name simply went from Saul to Paul. As God repurposed his life, 
for all of you today. Truly, what does God want to use your life for? What does God want to do with your life? I'm not saying that, that you should go today, quit your job, sell everything, move to Africa, and live in a hut. He might say that to you. But what I am saying to you is God wants to use your life. And are you going to stop saying, I, 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 and start focusing your life on him? Are you really going to say, it's not about I, it's about you? It's not about what I want to do, God. It's about what you want to do through me. It's not what I want to become. It's, God, what do you want me to become? It's not about how successful do I want to get. It's, God, what do you want to do with the success you've given me? You see, it's a, it's a simple tweak, but it takes you from looking at yourself and focusing your life on God. So my first challenge for you is this. Every morning, this is what I want you to do. You wake up. And you simply say this statement, it's not about I, it's about you. Serious. Simple, right? But if you started every day, seriously, taking the focus off yourself and focusing up on God and saying, God, it's not about I, it's about you. How would you look at this world? I promise you, completely different. So tomorrow morning, what I want you to do is this. When you wake up, just say, it's not about I, it's about you. As you get on the train, it's not about eyes, it's about you. As you walk into your office, it's not about eyes, it's about you. As you drop off your kids, it's not about eyes, it's about you. See, in Acts chapter 22, there's this whole section of about six to seven verses where Paul's talking about his story, and all of the parts of his story were I. I wanted to be, and I pursued, and I became, and I, 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 I. It's all these eyes. Read it, Acts 22. Read all. And all of a sudden, when God intersected with his life, it became about God, not him. Step one, tomorrow morning, you wake up. It's not about I, it's about you. Just say it to yourself. As you leave here today, start saying it. Second thing I would like to challenge you with is what is God doing around you right now? And join him. You can do this tonight, this afternoon, tomorrow morning. Because what happens when you start saying it's not about I, it's about you, you start looking through this world through different lenses. You start looking through God's lenses. And you start seeing God doing amazing things in people's lives. All of us are surrounded by countless people every day. And when you start saying it's not about I, it's about you, you start seeing how God sees. And he's at work in you and around you right now. How are you going to join him? What are you going to do? Right in step in your life right now? How are you going to be his light in the places you go? How are you going to be his voice in the places you go? How are you going to treat people around you differently because it's about him, not about you? You see, you can start joining God in what God's doing right now when you start saying it's not about I, it's about you. And then once you start seeing how God sees, start listening to his voice. Because for some of you, if not all of you, God has an amazing pathway ready to be laid out in front of you. And he just wants you to start walking down it. Because I do believe for some of you, it's going to be a total refocus of your entire life where the 
the, the pathway, the direction, the trajectory of your life is going to be radically tr- changed like Paul's. I really believe that. I really believe that one day someone's going to walk up to me sooner than later and say, you know what, Chris, that one weekend you shared this one thought and I hated you for it and frustrated me and blah. But wow, I could never imagine what God wanted to do in me and through me. And my life is now radically changed. I don't think Paul woke up that morning thinking, wow, I'm going to kill some Christians. And then, wow, I'm now going to be their biggest advocate. I don't think that was his plan that morning. And so you start listening to God and saying, God, what do you want from me? Because I want to join you in what you're doing. Because it's not about I, it's about you. And then be ready. Because when that happens... God's going to author pages of your life that you would never, ever, ever have thought would be authored before. I think about my sophomore year in high school when I walked down this aisle and I actually had made fun of all these high school students walking down. It's this big conference deal. And I'd made fun of them going, oh, great, you're going to go down, you're going to make a decision and, and by tonight you'll have totally forgotten about your decision. I was that guy. And, uh, I found myself walking down saying, okay, God, I'll give you my life. And I had no clue what that meant. None, zero. But I said, God, it's about you, not, it's not about I. And I think about how God has orchestrated my life since then. And that's why I looked to the future and I can't wait to see what God's going to do in me and through me. So be ready. Be ready because God wants to use you of all who he's created you to be. But I know that some of you are thinking, you know what, Chris, there's no way, absolutely no way that God could use me. Chris, you don't know me. You don't know what I've done in the past. You don't know what I'm doing now. You don't know the issues in my life. I'm really messed up, and I'm really, uh, you, no way. God can't use me. And what I would say to you simply is this. God took a murderer and used him for his kingdom. And if he can do that, he can use you, right? Because God wants to take broken people like you and me to impact his, king, his kingdom. He wants to take broken people like you and me and do something amazing in and through. He just wants people who are willing to go from I to you. You know, what's been amazing this weekend is, uh, you know, every service, you know, Tom's taken this blank canvas and over the hour transforms it into not just a painting, but a story. It's what God wants to do in your life. He wants to take this canvas and start painting a story that has him in the focus. And every one of our stories is so uniquely different. Again, as you look at this painting and you look at the, the other two, so different yet tell such a powerful story. My prayer for you is simple, is that you wake up tomorrow morning and you realize that in your brokenness, with your broken wing, that God wants to take you and do something amazing. And so when you wake up, just simply say, it's not about I, it's about you. As you walk through your day, simply say to yourself, it's not about I, it's about you. And start looking through God's eyes. 
about what God wants to do with you. And when that happens, something is going to come alive within you. And you're going to start seeing this world so differently. And you're going to realize what God really wants to do in your life. Well, Tom has literally painted his arms off. They're going to officially fall off here in a few minutes. It's a really cool trick. And, uh, but uh, let's, let's give Tom a very warm renaissance. Thank you. Let me pray for us, and we're going to get out of here. Lord, I just thank you for today. And, uh, man, what a... It'll be one of those moments for me personally that I'll never forget. And uh, uh, as you've taken music and spoken word and art and painting, and you have crafted a story and a message for us to hear. And Lord, I just pray that we take that message and we drive it to the center of our core. And so, Lord, I pray for that. I pray for everyone here that Seriously, that they will start looking through your lenses, looking through your eyes, and realize it's not about I, but it's about you. We love you. And you're going to pray. Amen. God bless. Have an amazing week.